Hi, I'm Erica, and I'm a queer, neurodivergent member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm on a mission to spread empathy and create inclusion and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. It's not usually quite this early in my home, (laughs) so I'm taking a chance to make a podcast episode. And I guess my fun fact for today for my intro... I know I don't always do fun facts, but I try to do some kind of little intro. (laughs) I recently started realizing that um, sometimes, especially with like people that are close to me in my life, I share like more negative things than positive things, things that are stressing me out or um, crazy things that happen during the day or um, wild kid messes and Things like that I tend to sometimes share with um, people that are close to me. Not always, but sometimes. And I was thinking about it and I was like, why do I share more of those things than more of like the positive things in my life? And I don't really know the answer to that, but I guess a thought I was having while thinking about it is, and this is part of the reason I identify as autistic, but I um, find a lot of childlike joy in some very simple things that I'm embarrassed to share with other people sometimes. Um, So a lot of my big highlights, they don't feel like things that are socially appropriate to share. Or um, sometimes I'll have a big highlight around the kids. And so I share a lot of stuff about the kids because seeing them happy or, for example, we went to the pumpkin patch recently and the kids were just they lit up. You know, when you look at a kid and their eyes are just sparkling and their smile is a mile wide and you just see like pure bliss. (laughs) Like when I see them having that, I feel it too. And so I love sending pictures of them to family or loved ones because I see this like immense joy in them and I feel it in me. I feel this like spark inside of me. I just feel this joy. We were at the pumpkin patch a few days ago And I like literally just like laughed out loud a couple times when I saw them because I was so happy. And it's kind of embarrassing. Like the other grownups there, other (laughs) grownups, you can tell I'm a mom of little kids. The other adults or adults, if I want to sound even more mature, the other adults, they were, you know, looking at their phone or talking to another adult or looking, I don't know, just kind of like a plain expression on their face. And I was there laughing like a little kid because I was so amused my children and I could feel their joy. And there was a couple adults around me that were like also, you know, smiling and enjoying it. And we would both, you know, share a laugh or something. But in general, um, sometimes I feel this kind of joy that's almost childlike that I don't feel like is socially acceptable. And I feel embarrassed sometimes. And I'm trying to to not mask that or not hide that. Um, for example, a couple things that have brought me immeasurable amounts of joy recently. (laughs) And this even feels like, I don't know, like it feels almost sacrilegious because the gospel, and especially in the church culture, we always talk about the gospel and family being our pure, you know, our sources of joy, especially the gospel in Christ. And I really, he is, he is my source of joy. But like I see him in so many things and things that other people might think are silly. For example, one of my recent special interests I do this with shows as if I find a show that I like, and I used to do it when I was younger a lot. I've mentioned in my podcast before the little recording my dad did of 
Um, he saved this recording from BYU channel of this little Chinese choir singing. And it was just like, it sparked joy for me so much. He recorded it for me because he knew I loved Chinese. <laughs> and I watched it a lot on repeat. And I haven't done that as much as an adult, I think because the social norms tell me that it's not normal and it's kind of embarrassing. But recently I've been letting myself do it. <laughs> and a while ago, one of those shows for me was is called um, Saving Me on BYU Channel. It just like sparked that joy and I watched the whole series several times with and without the kids. <laughs> and recently it's been a documentary on Disney+. Plus. If you want to watch this wonderful quality show that sparks tons of joy for me, it's called, oh, here it goes. <laughs> it's called Going Fur Gold. And this whole documentary series is about people who attend cat shows, rabbit shows, guinea pig shows, chicken shows, and alpaca shows. And they breed and raise animals to show in these like nationwide and international shows to try to be the best of the best of the breed. <laughs> that sounds so nerdy saying it out loud. Um, but this is why I think sometimes I share like more um, of my stressors with close people to me than like, not with everybody, but like I think sometimes I share stressors because it feels like it's part of being an adult. It feels like it's normal and that it's adult life. Telling people that I watched an episode about guinea pigs being brushed and shown to win a ribbon. Just a lot of adults wouldn't think that was interesting. And they also might think it's kind of like childish and immature. They also might be like, wow, how do you have time for that? Or are you wasting all your time? <laughs> the thing is, I'm really busy. I'm a stay-at-home mom and I homeschool. And I do a lot of activities and stuff with my kids and on my own. But like these little things, like allowing myself to enjoy a show, like going for gold for the last month or a couple weeks. I don't know how long it's been because when I like something this much, I get into a time lapse where it feels like I could have been watching this show my whole life. You know, it's like, it's part of me. <laughs> I become so familiar with it so quickly that it feels like it's been in my life for a long time. And it's probably only been a week or two, but it's something that brings me a lot of comfort. And so like having something like that, that's a routine, like, okay, I have downtime during the kids quiet hour. I like sit and do a craft and watch that show again. The whole series I've watched multiple times and like the familiarity of the voices and the familiarity of the content and the pleasantness of the animals that are so cute and fluffy, like a sensory dream come true. All of those things are really soothing for me. And um, in the autistic world, we call this stimming, which stimming, the obvious versions are like flapping hands or spinning, doing something that brings an autistic person joy and makes them feel comfortable in a world that's scary and uncertain and stressful. And so one kind of stimming can be listening to the same song again and again or watching the same show again and again. That would be an auditory stim. Um, and for me, that's what it is. Um, my stims are more um, subtle than some other people's, but like I will listen to a song on repeat again and again. I will watch a show that I like again and again. So I find a lot of joy in that. And another reason I don't talk about it with people sometimes is because people get really tired about hearing about the same things over and over again. And when you ask a, an autistic person about their special interest, 
they can talk about it indefinitely and in detail you never wanted to know. And so I've had experiences with loved ones where I will go into something I'm excited about and it gets overwhelming to them and boring and it's like a monologue and it's not interesting to them. So I also have received a lot of like rejection in that way. And so it just kind of is helping me realize, um, I guess it's hard. It's hard because I've kind of adjusted my behaviors and what I tell people to match what I think is expected of me and what people are comfortable with. But then sometimes you realize like, you're still not doing it right. You're still getting it wrong. (laughs) It's kind of how it feels being autistic sometimes is you're like, maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll try this. And you're twisting yourself in knots and it's not working. And then you're like, maybe I should just be myself. And it feels so good, but then it's not always received well. So it's tricky. Anyways, that was supposed to be good news, not sad news. (laughs) But it is good news because the show Going for Gold brings me immeasurable amounts of comfort and satisfaction. It gives me all the pleasant, happy feelings, especially if I'm doing that while doing perler bead crafts, which is my other current fixation. That does not mean I've been doing it all day. I do not have that kind of time. But when I have a chance, I leave stuff out and I do it whenever I have a moment. And sometimes I do do it for long. Sometimes me and the kids really enjoy having slow days where we do crafts together and watch guinea pig shows and rabbit shows. (laughs) I love it when the kids get interested in the stuff I'm interested in and they have been, it's been really fun, but those are date like recently over one of the weekends, my um, phone ran out of batteries and it was like the most blissful weekend for me because I just got to hang out with my family and do these really simple, joyful things and just be really present. And um, the kids and I, on one day, actually we did this when we were sick too. Being sick was not fun, but just having a day where like without guilt, we sat on the couch together and we made perler bead crafts of all kinds, Captain America, Batman, anything, unicorns, cats, whatever the kids requested while watching um, Going for Gold <laughs> episodes. <laughs> that was pure bliss to me. And the kids were having so much fun. The next day they said, can we make those crafts again? And (laughs) it was very fun. Anyways, after that tangent, let's jump into the actual episode. So I wanted to talk about invisible social rules today and kind of what that means. Because I know sometimes people hear that phrase and just kind of like brush it off because they don't understand it. Or they... A lot of people just don't really know exactly what that looks like, what that means. So I was thinking of you a few examples. A lot of times people who are autistic struggle with reading social rules that other people know unconsciously, like without even trying. An example is, and this is like a common rule that no one ever says it out loud, but everybody knows it, is not to look at your phone while talking to somebody. And that would be like a basic social rule. And a lot of times an autistic person would catch, sometimes not, some people would not catch this. But like for me, for example, like, yes, I know that I should not look at my phone while talking to somebody. But if you think about it, there's all these little nuances of the rule. And this is where like the invisible part comes in. It depends on the person. Like I said, some people who are autistic, like the whole thing is invisible. The whole thing they did not realize, they don't get it. Or they get it and they don't understand it. And some autistic people are very logical, like, well, I don't understand this. If I don't understand it, then it's not important. I don't want to do it. I'm not dealing with it. 
Um, so they'll just be like, I don't care if I'm on my phone, people talk to me, whatever. I don't care. Um, and some people are just oblivious. Like I did not even realize that was a problem. And some people they'd be like, well, I know I'm not supposed to talk on my phone when I'm not supposed to look at my phone when someone's talking to me, but then there's all these rules underneath. Like it is okay to look at your phone when someone's talking to you. If you're looking up something that they're telling you about, like, you know, they told you about a restaurant or something, or if you're looking up something that you're going to share with them as part of the conversation, like a photo, or if you're writing something down or recording something that they're telling you like a date or a time or when you're going to meet up or the restaurant they recommended that you want to remember. So there's this overlying rule, but then there's all these details within that rule that are sometimes extremely hard to figure out and you might not ever figure them out. Um, another example I thought of, oh, and some autistic people too are a little bit rigid. So like they might, you know, get mad at people that are using their phone because they're like, well, someone's told me that this is a rule. Don't use your phone while, while someone's talking to you, but then they won't understand all the ins and outs. So they take it kind of rigidly and almost become like a, a police of like, Hey, don't use your phone. Don't do that. Don't do this. You know, (laughs) trying to master the social without really understanding the nuances of it. Another one is how far do you stand from somebody when you're talking to them? And a lot of people don't think about this at all, but some people do. And it could just be a social anxiety thing, an anxiety thing, a conscientiousness thing, but also sometimes for autistic people, this is a struggle of knowing how far away is normal to stand from somebody. And that could be like the overlying rule, but then underneath that, there's all the nuances of, well, what's your level of intimacy with this person? What's the person, the person's personality and preference with closeness? Um, what's the weather like outside? Cause sometimes when it's cold, people like standing close together, <laughs> all these little things like that, or like we're at a social event and you just met a friend, how close do you stand? Um, so there's a lot of nuances sometimes that are underneath the the rule that is spoken or that is generally understood. Um, another thing is how to dress or act in certain places. This could have just been my um, tomboyish nature um, or my desire for comfort. <laughs> this is funny, but it's actually a really common thing for autistic people to wear like the same type of clothing or same outfit again and again and again, or to like prefer a certain type of clothing very strongly to the point that they won't wear other things because this, the comfort is really important. And that's been true for me my whole life. But when I was younger, I was really into like baggy clothes, tomboy style, things that like never, I still don't like anything that's tight, but especially then I didn't like anything that was even remotely tight. So everything had to be loose. And my family would be going to a restaurant or a, a theater or something, a play, not like a movie theater, like a theater play production. And I would put on my usual baggy shirt and cargo shorts and be like, I'm ready to go or my (laughs) really comfortable sweatpants. And, um, just kind of like, I had a little bit of a, a lack of understanding of what was appropriate. And sometimes I also didn't care because I just wanted to be comfortable. I've noticed as an adult, that's still a struggle for me is, um, I tend to care way more about how clothes feel than how they look. So I might go out to the library and then see my reflection and be like, wow, I should dress in something that doesn't look like I slept in it. But (laughs) I don't think about that because I'm just thinking about my comfort. I'm thinking about 
this outfit feels good. So I'm good with it. I like it. If it doesn't feel good to me, it's a no-go, even if it looks really nice. Um, so all kinds of invisible social rules that can be very difficult to navigate, including like eye contact. People know this is a general rule. Make eye contact when you're talking to somebody. A lot of autistic people understand that. So a lot, a lot don't, but a lot do. And, but there's all the nuance of, well, how long is the eye contact supposed to last? Cause if you just stare at somebody unendingly, it like feels like you're boring a hole into their soul and people don't like that. It's very uncomfortable. But if you look away too often, they think you're nervous or you're hiding something or you're lying. And so that becomes really complex. How long do I maintain eye contact before I break away and then look back? And how long do I look away before I re before I look back into the person's eyes? Um, it's interesting too, because as an autistic person, I think that when you're unable to unmask and you're like totally yourself with someone, you think about this much less and you might just not make eye contact at all, or you might make it, you know, whatever feels natural and comfortable to you, you'll do when you're unmasking. But when you are masking is when you start overthinking, like, how do I fulfill the illusion that I understand these rules that I actually don't. I'm trying to mimic the other person's behavior to make them feel comfortable, to make them not suspect that anything's off. I don't want them to think that I'm drilling a hole into their soul, but I also don't want them to think that I'm lying because I'm looking away too frequently. But both of those <laughs> are my best attempts at mimicking this social rule that I don't understand. So that's where things get really complicated and tricky to navigate. Um, anyways. Oh, and another thing is, um, special interests. I was talking about that in the intro today. Um, for a lot of autistic people, special interests are important because they give them something to talk about. They give them something that they know that they can talk about and it feels safe and they know social, they don't have to worry about social rules or this or that. What am I supposed to say? Because they're like, I have this thing that I really like. And I know a lot about as long as I'm talking about that thing, I'm safe because I know all the answers. I know all the stuff about it. <laughs> um, versus when the, in normal conversations, sometimes it can get really nerve wracking to be like, I don't know the proper response to this person's question. I don't know what topics are interesting or normal for adults to discuss. Um, and so that's what I mentioned in the beginning of the episode is like having a hard time navigating which things do, do I share with adults that they actually care about that are interesting versus what things, if I share, well, they just think I'm kind of foolish or childish or, um, or maybe they'll be like, wow, that's the best thing happening in your life. I feel sorry for you. You know, <laughs> like I mentioned with my documentary going for gold. If I mention this has been something that's brought me so much happiness recently, people might be like, wow, if that's what makes you happy, like you must not have very many happy things in your life. And that's not true for me at all. <laughs> I have wonderful family and I have so many things that I enjoy, but, um, certain things just like when I get a special interest on something, it just gives me immeasurable amounts of joy. It's hard to explain it to people. So, um, it really becomes like a big highlight and that doesn't mean that my life's not good because the best thing in my life is a TV show about guinea pigs. <laughs> so it gets hard to explain. Um, so anyways, those are some of the, the, some examples of social rules and invisible aspects of social rules and why it can be difficult for an autistic person to understand how to interact in a way that's, that for other people seems natural. And sometimes an autistic person might seem a little bit like confusing of like, why are they acting that way? Or why, why are they boring a hole into my soul with their eyes? 
Or why are they avoiding my eye contact altogether? It doesn't always mean what you think it would mean. It doesn't have a lot of implications that people might think it has. Um, it could just be, well, this is what's comfortable and natural for me, or I'm trying really hard to meet your to meet the rules, but I don't know how to do it. <laughs> and this is my best effort. Um, and there's a lot of talk right now about neurodiversity and accommodations. And the idea, there's kind of like an interesting, um, several different ideas in the autistic community of, of how this should be done. Um, historically, and still currently, there's a lot of ideas that um, autistic people should be taught how to assimilate into society and how to follow social rules correctly and how to blah, 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 blah. And I think that a lot of this is valuable, especially when it provides an autistic person with autonomy and, you know, like, for example, living on your own or being able to cook or um, knowing social, like basic life skills that they need to thrive and even some social skills, maybe, I don't know, but it really depends on the person and what they want to do. Um, but a lot of people in the autistic community who are adults are really against a lot of these types of therapies and treatment of teaching autistic people to assimilate into regular society because they think that society should be more inclusive and have space for autistic people. Kind of like we talked about in the last episode with Carrie, where our society should have space and be big enough for people of disability with disabilities, whether... Um, that's intellectual or physical, um, this society should make space and be big enough for all of the different types of people. And that's what the adult autistic community tends to focus on is we don't need to teach autistic people to make eye contact or to stand the right distance from people. We need other people to be more accepting and recognize that someone make, not making eye contact with you doesn't mean they're a jerk or that they're not smart or this or this or this. Just means that their brain works differently than yours. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I stand somewhere in the middle there of, I really think that society should continue to make more space for variety and for uniqueness. Um, but yeah, I also understand that for some autistic people, um, there's valuable skills that can be learned that make them feel more confident or more capable of um, living on their own or making friends. And so I think it's really an individual um, journey there to to recognize what things are helpful for um, each individual person. Um, so those are my thoughts for today and I hope you enjoy your weekend. All opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. I do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I hope you enjoyed listening today. And you know what? Instead of saying, have a great day, I'm gonna say, have a day. It might be a good one, it might not, and that's okay. Keep growing, keep loving yourself, you've got this.